Midwife Calling. Hello, and welcome to Poplar Opinion, a Call the Midwife podcast, where we're going through every episode of Call the Midwife, spoiler free. I'm Jan Moffat. I'm Dr. Paul Moffat, not that kind of doctor, and we're talking this week about the fourth episode of season one. This episode was directed by Jamie Payne and written by Esther Wilson. We have not been naming the writer and director so far. I will just say every episode up till now has been directed by Philippa Lothorpe, and every episode of this season for the rest of the season, will be directed by Jamie Payne. Hmm. The writer changes, and I'm not going to list all the writers in the past, but this is a new director who will direct for the rest of the season. Good to know. I especially noticed the director this time, which is why I wanted you to give a call out to to him, because I think it's well-directed. But we'll talk more about that a little bit later. So let's get into the recap. Jenny... And Sister Evangelina deliver Shirley Redmond's... You're not, you're not calling it the nursing recap? The nursing cap? I think I've been shamed out of that. <laughs> Thanks, though. <laughs> oh, you know, you call it what you want. Oh, I'm sorry. Well, where, where was I? <laughs> you just started. I'm just starting. So Jenny, Jenny and Sister Evangelina deliver Shirley Redmond's baby. Her husband is stressed and it's revealed that their last baby was stillborn. A healthy girl is born, and mature Jenny narrates about the shadows on the sunny days. A couple, the Joneses, drives past Jenny and sister Evangelina, moving into a new apartment. She's pregnant, and they are very much in love. Back at Nanata's house, Trixie retrieves Jenny to get a call from Jimmy. He invites her to go to the movies, and she accepts. Cynthia, Trixie, and sister Bernadette are spying on her from around the corner. Jenny checks on Shirley Redmond to find she is happy and doing much better with this new child. Jenny comments on her beautiful outfit. Margaret and David Jones, the Joneses from earlier, are home in their house with her playing the violin. She complains of a headache and says she'll go to the clinic tomorrow. Trixie and Cynthia quiz Jenny on her date and they giggle about boys. Margaret arrives at the clinic and Cynthia takes her information. Margaret is visibly unimpressed. She chats with Shirley and is called a stuck-up bitch by Eileen Blake. She leaves before her name is called. Oh, so, they're like... A lot of introductions in this first little bit. But Shirley and Margaret are the two names that we're going to be kind of talking about over and over. So Shirley is the mother of Jillian, who she used to have a stillborn baby, and Margaret is the woman who's pregnant with david her husband yeah she's not pregnant with david (laughs) i know what you mean i uh yeah i spent the whole time calling him mr jones until the very last second when i remembered that his name is david yeah um what do you think of the like back shirley's backstory that is before this episode this is her second pregnancy Mm -hmm. and her last one was uh stillborn that uh, Sister Evangelina wakes Jenny up to, like, come 
I'll come with you under the circumstances. There should be two of us. Yeah. And it's uh, clear that Sister Evangelina, I think it even explicitly said later that she delivered the first baby. Because this was probably before Jenny had arrived. Um, I like how stressed out the husband, Ron, yeah. is. I mean, I don't like that he's stressed out, but like showing him as extremely stressed because he's clearly gone through something. He's clearly seen his wife go through something and he uh, can't really handle the standard of the man not being in the birthing room. Yeah. And there's a moment that's like played for comedy and it's played for comedy because everything is fine. But if yeah. everything wasn't fine, it wouldn't have been comic. And I think they sometimes on this show, in the first three episodes, they have sometimes, uh, I walked don't know, the walked the line. They've usually been pretty good at it on this show, actually. Mm-hmm. I don't know why on this show I said. Some other shows, some other, t- the like, the line of, am I supposed to laugh at this person in their sadness? Yeah. Uh like David running for, or not Ron, Ron running for the phone to call is mm-hmm. the first shot we see, and then him like pacing outside, and when he hears her screaming, he comes charging up the stairs. Yeah, and it's funny because everything is fine and he has a daughter, but it is like grounded in this. He has seen his wife and himself go through like grief and tragedy and he is not just he's not this stereotype of like a oh overly fussy husband who doesn't understand childbirth Mm -hmm. he's like traumatized and uh protective of his wife who has been traumatized and that they went through this uh emotionally painful and presumably physically painful uh for her um birth before and like it all just is so well done it's the little details that Mm -hmm. just like they establish it very quickly yeah um these early episodes of call the midwife uh tend to be tend to have a little bit of heavy-handedness and we've talked about this before of like he's kicked out of the room while she's giving birth it's like once again men are not allowed to be in the birth room remember when it was like that and so I mean, it's subtle, it's more subtle than this, but they're just constantly calling attention to, like, how different things were back then. I feel like they back off a little bit as we go. Yeah, and I feel like this is a little less, a little more subtle than the previous episodes. But it does have Sister Evangelina being like, thank you for the towels, you're dismissed. (laughs) Like, she doesn't say the words, you're dismissed, but she says it with her body language of, like, and thank you for those towels. We'll see you when the baby comes. <laughs> like, there's no there's no invitation whatsoever of him staying in the room. No, not at all. Even with the trauma that, that has been experienced. Yeah. And, possi- and honestly, it's probably better that he isn't because of his mental state. He is so stressed out and it's unclear whether he would be of any help yeah. because of that. I mean, that's the premise, right, is that the husbands wouldn't be of any help. That's mm. the reason why they're not... They're not there. Welcome to be there. <laughs> um, and we have... I'm trying to decide whether to go through things chronologically or in order of interest. But let's talk for a moment about the other couple. that The yeah. other uh, pregnant woman and so, husband who are Mar- going to Margaret, be the center of the episode. So Margaret and David Jones, uh, 
they're moving into a much a different house than we've seen before. Yep. So this is the East End, but they're not all. It's not all tenements and rundown and bug ridden like we saw last episode. There are nicer places, and they're moving from the nicer part of London where they had a smaller flat to the not as nice part of London with a bigger flat. Yeah. And so they're a bit more posh, but are like, yes, we get, but we get to move into like a nice big house because we're having a baby. So it's kind of a lateral move to bigger in a less nice neighborhood. And there's even a moment though, even in the East End, there's a moment that you haven't recapped yet, but when they're driving, when uh, David says, she's, uh, Margaret says, I didn't lock the door. And David says, well, it's a pretty nice neighborhood. Yeah. So like even in, even the neighborhood is like nice enough that he's like, eh, yeah, I don't have to lock the door. Yeah, exactly. I didn't quite put together the pieces of that they were in a nicer London, nicer area in a smaller apartment that have moved to a less nice area yeah. in a bigger. Well, she says south of the river in a very snobby way she when she arrives at the clinic. So I think that's your clue. I don't know. Of course, I don't know exactly all the areas of London. It's all very complicated, and if you live there, you'd know. But. We know that East End is poor, and we can demise, uh, surmise that south of the river is a little bit better. We can. What's What do we make of her coming and being so turned off by the clinic? I think it draws some serious parallels to Jenny Lee, the right. first time she was there. And something that... Jenny Lee in her memoirs mentions that we can't see in the show and we can't read in the book is the smell. And they kind of show that a little bit in the first episode, but she says, you know, like, in order to test urine, you had to heat it up. Like Ooh. You're testing for protein in urine over like a beaker over a Bunsen burner. And so this clinic is like, not just full of like unwashed people, but like the smell of cooking urine. It's not a pleasant place to smell. Right. And so that first uh, entering into that space would be unpleasant if you're not used to it. And then, of course, the people dress. She's dressed much fancier than the people around her. She yep. wants to see a doctor. She wants priority to be her because she's sees herself as important. Although there's this like... She wants priority to be her because she sees herself as important. She also wants priority to be her because she is sick. And she's, yeah, and she's worried, right? yeah. And uh, Cynthia interprets it as, like, this is a re- routine check, uh, mm-hmm. but she is, we have seen enough that she is, like, this is not a routine check. Yes, exactly. So they're, like, the priority. There is certainly, like, she's, she is snobby. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And the what's her name who like yells at her for being stuck up? Like she's not, not stuck up. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, I think Cynthia's immediately gets her back up when Margaret says, "I want to talk to someone in charge." And anyone who's worked in any kind of public service or customer service, if someone <laughs> Can I walks speak in, to the manager? yeah, well, if someone walks in the door and doesn't even talk to you and just is like, "I would like to speak to the manager," "I would like to speak to the person in charge," your your hackles go up. You're you're annoyed before you even can say words and so good point so cynthia being just a little short with her is so in character with how humans are and i've been that person who's been like 
well, I'm actually in charge in this moment, so you can talk to me. Right. You know? <laughs> yeah. Um, and then the other kind of thread in this section is Jenny and the nurses. Mm-hmm. Uh, what do you, what do you think about that? It starts with <laughs> Jenny spraying hairspray or hair lacquer, hairspray yeah. in her eye. And tr- this is like a little motif of the episode is Trixie being like completely unsympathetic. Yeah, I don't love Trixie in this episode. I think they're trying something with her that is not quite landing because she just seems callous through yeah. this whole episode when she, they're trying to make her seem like She's a rom- she's romantic and, and she's not, not romantic. romantic. She's not romantic. She's contrasting to Cynthia. So they're trying to be like and we haven't we'll presumably talk a little bit more yeah. about this, but they're trying to have her be like she's, you know, impulsive and fun and flirty and uh Yeah, exactly. And wants to date lots of men and like But that like fun and flirty and in the moment is like does not have to be and in this episode is callous and like unsympathetic to anyone else yeah which is not great characteristics for a nurse exactly exactly um i love the spying on her i love jenny lee she they aren't fooled at all by it which is great her like jokingly like oh jimmy we couldn't do the whole weekend just you and me haha and how scandalous that would be Um, in the 50s for them to spend a weekend together and then, you know, they're all, she's a bad actress. And the and Sister Bernadette is spying on them. Sister Bernadette gets a lot more attention in this episode. And, and this moment, yeah. Sorry, you go on. I was going to say, she just like, uh, she's much more in with the nurses than we've seen before. And is, uh, is this kind of younger nun. And we're seeing in this episode the contrast of her being a younger nun to the other nuns is like, she kind of wants to hang out with the nurses, but she's not one of them. And she gets in trouble specifically when Jenny comes around the corner and sees them spying. She's like, you're in trouble. And sister Bernadette, you know, like surprised at you. I expected better. And it's good. Like in that moment, because sister Bernadette really does just kind of get pulled along. And we see her in this, like, very, she very literally gets pulled into the group with the nurses. And mm-hmm. then that's what happens for the rest of the episode. But but she doesn't belong with them. Mm-hmm. But she lets herself be pulled in with them. And yes. we see her, like, internal conflict, even in this very moment, mm-hmm. of being like, I, I don't know what you're talking about. I wasn't eavesdropping. But, yeah. oh, yes, you were. <laughs> oh, yes, you were. So speaking of uh, dates and... Romance. Chummy and Constable Noakes plan another date, and then Trixie coaches Chummy on how to be coquettish and alluring on her date with, well, Cynthia and Chummy giggle like crazy at her. Okay, first of all, Constable Noakes and Chummy are adorable. I know, right? And they're like, fancy meeting you here. Well, actually, I looked at the schedule and <laughs> knew you would be here and have been waiting for half an hour. Constable <laughs> 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 Constable Noakes, play it cool. Yeah, exactly. He is, does <laughs> he is, no, co- no He chill. does not want to play it cool, and I appreciate it. Yeah. Uh, also, you, I agree with you, like, Trixie is, is not at her best in this episode in some ways, but Trixie, like, flirting and min- <laughs> yeah, uh, mincing and uh, 
for no one, like, is hilarious. Yes. It's one of the funniest things. And it's, like, every sound she makes. Oh, ooh, mm, ah. <laughs> so funny and so well done. Yeah, so well done. So well done. And then, like, one of my, yeah, I love that moment. That, uh little thing of her like prancing around and showing her how to like order at the restaurant in the most alluring way yeah. possible and then chummy's like fish and chips <laughs> and her, like, put the husband. vinegar on first <laughs> <laughs> anyway to continue with my recap <laughs> oh sorry it's okay uh shirley and ron enjoy their new baby as a shadow watches them from afar David takes Margaret to the doctor, and she has a seizure on the drive over. Cynthia and Trixie happen to be nearby, and Cynthia follows them to the hospital. When she arrives, the baby has died, and Margaret is close to death as well, due to eclampsia. Cynthia continues going to the hospital to see the Joneses to the end of Margaret's life. Chummy arrives home from her date, and all the nurses fan over her demanding details. They talk over about an upcoming dance, and they decide to go, including Jimmy. The girls get ready, drinking gin, dancing to Buddy Holly, and leaving together as Sister Bernadette looks at herself in a mirror, removing her habit and glasses. At the dance, Chummy and Noakes join in, despite both saying they can't dance. Trixie makes several dates. But late that night, Cynthia knocks on Jenny's door to talk about the Joneses. Cynthia is upset about Margaret leaving the clinic, and they talk about love and living life to the fullest. Margaret has uh, this headache that she's been feeling mm-hmm. is due to high blood pressure and leads to eclampsia, which is uh, preeclampsia is a somewhat com- not that common, but uh, something women get in pregnancy when they're checked. Their blood pressure will be high. They'll be put on things like bed rest is something that is prescribed for eclampsia. Sometimes early delivery of a baby. Um, Eclampsia, full-on eclampsia, leads to death. It Mm. used to be called toxemia, as they say in this episode. Uh, It... The only way to catch it is to catch it before a woman gives birth before a seizure like this. Right. Is it still, if it, if it got to the seizure point, it, would it still be fatal? Probably. Hmm. Yeah. And this is like, I mean, because of the kind of show it is, not just because it's the kind of show that has sad stuff in it, but it's because it's a show that involves medical stuff. Mm-hmm. Like, she has a headache we know that that's gonna be a thing yeah from the first exactly. moment that she has a headache that's not just gonna oh it was nothing yeah uh that it's a Chekhov's headache mm-hmm. um but it does happen so fast and she's only 27 weeks which uh most babies born at 27 weeks will not survive no it's, i mean in the 50s certainly not these days more of them do uh our nephew was born at 26 weeks and is a happy, healthy ten-year-old now. <laughs> he is. So. How, uh, how early was the baby in the first episode? Do you remember? Thirty something. Thirty something. Yeah. Yeah. Our early, nephew, who was born at twenty-six weeks, uh, I didn't see him at that in person at that age. But like a twenty-six-week baby, 
It's hand sized. Is hand sized. Like yeah. you, you hold his whole body from palm to fingertip. He was so tiny, mm-hmm. incredibly tiny. Uh, so yeah, it's not that surprising that in the fifties, especially and even today, like even today, twenty six weeks was uh, an emergency. Yes. And, and he was in the hospital for months afterwards. He was in the hospital for months afterwards, and it was very, very stressful for all involved. Mm-hmm. Um, this, like, what you're saying about it all happened so quickly with Margaret Jones. Yeah. Is, is, I don't know what to say about it other than, like, it really is. So, because it's a medical show, we know she has a headache and there's, there's something's going to come of it. But it's like she goes from I'm feeling a little under the weather to like the I've lost the baby and I'm on my deathbed in mm-hmm. like the time it takes Cynthia to get to the hospital, right? You know, yeah. And that's the conversation I was talking about earlier of like, oh no, I left the door open. Mm-hmm. It's like just before her seizure, yeah. And then by the time they get to the hospital, that's it for her. Mm-hmm. Like it, it really is very abrupt. I like, on in lighter news, uh, when they, when Chummy gets back from her date and they're all like, gossip, gossip, tell us all about it. And Chummy's like, oh, he was a perfect gentleman. And Trixie's like, oh, how disappointing. And they're all like, Trixie. But then Sister Bernadette is like, but... You are a man, and he is a woman, and in the future of this relationship, it will eventually... You you just said he. Oh, he, he, you are a woman, and he is a man, and the future of this relationship will eventually involve some flirtatious behavior outside the realms of gentlemanly conduct. (laughs) Which is both, like, hilariously put, and also, like, Sister Bernadette is basically saying the same thing as Trixie. He's a gentleman. How disappointing. Yeah, exactly. I love it. Love it. <laughs> and they're all kind of giggling at this as she's saying it. But yeah, it's true. She's just saying a formal version of what Trixie has said. Of like, come on, though. Yeah. You don't want to. You don't want to just him to be a gentleman all the time, do you? Exactly. <laughs> Which, like, Sister Bernadette. Yeah. Uh. Them dancing in the room, listening to Buddy Holly, getting all ready. Uh. And drinking gin, one of the things that uh, Jenny Lee has said in her memoirs, as opposed like that the show got wrong, is or possibly someone else from because she died before the show was made. So anyway, she regardless, she didn't see the someone show. involved in the show who was there in real life has said the amount of alcohol they get away with drinking in the Nada's house would not have been possible, and. Uh, they do hide it in the show, but <laughs> as Sister Bernadette knocks on the door and Trixie, like, yells, basically, <laughs> hide the gym, like, as if she didn't hear that on the other side of the door. Although, I think in that specific moment, I don't know that Sister Bernadette would have ratted them out. Yes, that's true. Because we see Sister Bernadette, like, is vicariously going out with them. And she's yeah. like, oh, don't you all look lovely? And she's, like, so excited that they're going out to a dance and she you know, smiles wistfully after them. Mm-hmm. And it's like, again, earlier in the episode, we have her being pulled in with the three uh, nurses who are, or the two nurses who are eavesdropping. Chummy's not there eavesdropping, is she? 
No. She left. She said, you want privacy and leaves like a good person. Exactly. <laughs> but Sister Bernadette gets pulled in with the two nurses eavesdropping. And then now Sister Bernadette's on the other side of the door and they hide all their fun from her. Mm-hmm. I don't think it is. Uh, I think it, it can be within the plot that like she knows what they're doing. Yeah. She's not going to tell on them. She's not going to tell on them. And then when she, the like moment after they leave and she takes off her habit and takes down her hair and takes off her glasses Mm -hmm. and like. And I mean, this is really the audience recognizing how young she is. Yeah. Too, because she looks older, especially with the glasses in her habit. She looks older. But then, I mean, she does look young, but. I mean, it's one of the reasons for a habit is that without the hair, it's hard to judge someone's age and appearance and that's part of the point yeah exactly and so we really and we just this is why i love how well directed this episode is because no words are spoken no nothing is said we just have her taking off her habit running her fingers through her hair and you just you feel her ache and her longing along with her that she has made this choice to be a nun, but that doesn't mean that she doesn't have desires to be like the other women that are there that are probably very similar in age to her. And I actually really like that uh, her moment of like wanting to be with them, her moment of uh, internal conflict about her calling is not there's a man she's has the hots for so much. Mm-hmm. It's like she wants, she's looking at herself, right? Yeah, exactly. I really like that. Yeah, I feel like a lesser show would be like, oh, she's, you know, sees a man and is attracted to him, therefore she's going to leave her life of. of but just uh, even when. Nunningness. Nunningness? <laughs> even when a nun leaves religious life for uh, a man or a woman. For religious, for a relationship, it's always about, always, people are too complex. When you, when you leave one life for a person, there's more going on than that. Mm -hmm. So I like that we don't have the person. We, it's all about herself Mm -hmm. here. Yeah. And then, uh, Cynthia, oh, Cynthia deciding that she wants to stay to the end of the case. Mm-hmm. And it's weird. It's a little bit weird that it's Sister Bernadette she asks for permission from. Although Sister Bernadette was the one teaching the yeah, class. Yeah, I think she's doing some instructing and maybe some, she's some kind of in charge of them. Mm-hmm. Or higher up than the nurses. Yeah, despite, and it's one of the things that makes it a little bit uh, deceptive how old she is or isn't. Because she is in a position of authority over the rest of them. Yeah. She's teaching them in the previous episode about how to... Uh, do a breach birth. Do a breach birth. And now she's the one who gives Cynthia permission to go and uh, stay at the hospital. Mm-hmm. But anyway, that moment of like, I want to go to the hospital. It'll be good experience. And Sister Bernadette's like, it will be distressing. Mm-hmm. And we're seeing more and more of Cynthia and her sensitivity... And delicacy. I feel like she, you just get a sense of she's a delicate person. Yeah. And it's a benefit to her as a nurse to be sympathetic and empathetic and, and have a big heart. But also she's 
not all it doesn't seem like in this episode she's coping at all no i thought a lot of this episode a lot of this episode and cynthia's experience is like cynthia looks sad mm-hmm. look at cynthia's face cynthia is sad yeah and it is like empathy and it is she can be there for david as a sympathetic ear because she is sad about david she is the, and we have david saying like I need to be strong. Mm-hmm. And Cynthia is not being strong no. by David's measure of what being strong looks like. Mm-hmm. But she is helping David by not being strong. Yeah. And so since Sister Bernadette is worried about Cynthia, that like this is going to be distressing. Yeah. But she, that's a different kind of strength that like, I'll be distressed. I want to be a good nurse. She's fragile, but she's, like, putting herself in a position of being distressed. Yeah, she wants to do her best. With eyes open. Yeah, exactly. She, I think we are seeing, uh, Trixie and Cynthia were the nurses who were already there when we got there. And so we're seeing, you know, the difference between them, especially in this episode, where, uh, Trixie is, you know, grabbing life and out there making dates and going to dances and she's dragging Cynthia along with her. Cynthia says like, oh, I didn't want to go at first, but once Trixie brought me, it's pretty fun. And you get the impression that, you know, Cynthia hasn't been putting herself out there. She's shy. She's reserved. And so Trixie has been a help to her to do this. And this is again, and so in this, uh, meeting David and experiencing Margaret's death she is she talks to Jenny about making the most of her life and she says we have a duty to live every day really live it yeah and I don't know if by the end of the episode she actually comes to any conclusion which I like I like that she's she's not suddenly tricksy yeah. But I think this is just showing a step in Cynthia's life of learning to embrace life more as she mm-hmm. goes. We do have also another example of Trixie's callousness, just to point out that, like, Cynthia has just come from, like, sitting with David at his wife's deathbed. Yeah. And, and uh, Trixie's like, have some gin and then you'll stop being so sad. Yeah. <laughs> like... She has reason to be sad. Come on. Yeah, I know, right? Like, the the very much context of that is your sadness is bumming me out and harshing my vibe. <laughs> like, Although, as nurses who keep experiencing sad things all the time, Trixie has learned true. to compartmentalize. compartmentalize. Yeah, yeah. And we don't actually see Trixie dealing with anything sad and compartmentalizing in this episode, but mm. we can surmise that, yeah. like... That doesn't mean that Trixie doesn't have compassion and a big heart herself. Yeah. She just is compartmentalizing. Yes, I'm going to drink and smoke and go on lots of dates and that's, we can kind of read between the lines, that's Trixie's way of coping. Yeah, exactly. It's a little generous to Trixie in this episode though, because we don't see any of that. No, exactly. We just have to like, well, we know eventually we're going to love Trixie, so we have to kind of like her now because... (laughs) (laughs) Ron Redmond arrives home to find that their baby is not in the pram. The police question everyone, including the nurses, about Shirley's state of mind after the stillbirth. They question Shirley about her comment in the clinic about throttling Jillian. At the hospital, 
David asks Cynthia to get him some things from home. She goes to their house and enters to find life on pause in the apartment, including the violin out of its case. In Shirley's house, Sister Julienne takes the laundry and Jenny stays with the family overnight. The baby has still not been found, but in an abandoned building, a woman holds a baby and tries to feed it, but ends up smashing the bottle of milk against a wall. In Nanatis, Sister Julienne is making food for the searches, and Jenny brings food for the Redmonds. Now, I think we can just say right out that it's Mary who has the baby. Yeah. I don't want to, like, we, we've all seen the whole episode. By the end of the episode, it's, it's clear. It's Mary who has the baby, and so... Uh, what I was, But we don't know right away. We talked about this as we were watching it. The first time I watched the episode, I don't know that I even... Like, when Jenny says, I know her, I don't know that I even remembered the episode with Mary in it, because mm-hmm. I didn't watch them back to back and whatever. And, uh... How soon... So, it's hard to remember and know, because the second time I recognized her immediately. Yeah. Uh, before we'd even seen her face, because I watched it closely recently. How soon do you recognize Mary? I feel like the first time you see her, when she is she's entirely in shadow, and she's trying to feed the baby, and like the only thing you would recognize her about her is the accent. So... You might recognize her right away if you'd watched that episode recently, which we had. But I think it's not until the second time you see her when you actually see her face and she goes out and tries to solicit men that you know that that's the same girl. Yeah. And then, of course, if it's been a really long time since you've seen the Mary episode, it wouldn't be until Jenny actually recognizes her. Yeah. So I want to talk more about Mary, but Mm -hmm. before we do, Netflix cuts a in the middle of this recap you just gave. Hmm. So everything about Cynthia getting things from home for Mr. Jones, about Jenny staying overnight, Shirley knowing her baby's alive because her milk has come in, uh, all of that is cut out of the Netflix uh, cut of this episode. And I just like, those are specifically, there's a two key moments in each of the key plots they're like because there's another part that was cut out that i didn't mention when we went past it which is when the nurses are gossiping about jenny's date and she likes elvis she doesn't like elvis that's cut from netflix and i'm like you know it adds a little bit of texture but uh if you're gonna cut something i guess you could cut that i think that scene is important because uh it shows peggy cleaning the floor yes while the rest of them are giggling and gossiping and so there's it's just, it is more texture to the world it is and introduces peggy but this part mm-hmm. i just like i can't imagine cutting this part because first of all the part of cynthia getting things from home for the joneses is like i guess it's not plot but it's one of the most poignant moments yeah, in her, that story so for emotional. me when she goes home and everything is just waiting for Margaret to return and she's not going to, mm-hmm. like potatoes half peeled and the violin sitting there, the music open, like it's the violin is the symbolic thing, yeah. but also the potatoes half open and the way that we talked about how abrupt this is and the like heartbreaking house just waiting for the return of someone who's not going to return. Yeah. And then later in the episode, we see uh, David 
going back, back to that house. Ar- arriving back alone. Mm-hmm. And that moment of David arriving back alone, like we know it's their house, but just the like seeing that empty house that's waiting for Margaret to return when she's not going to. Like it's a heartbreakingly poignant moment. Yeah, absolutely. And it's uh, such a uh, shame to rob people of that moment. Yeah, and it's uh, it's a relatable moment for anyone who's gone through a sudden need to to like leave the house without changing things like i think about my uh my nephew this has a happy ending don't worry my nephew had, when he was six had, was diagnosed with leukemia he is happy and healthy 13 year old now they suddenly had to take him to a hospital a children's hospital that was two hours away and so they had a car full of groceries that they unpacked into their house and just left on the floor and left. And it wasn't until like weeks later that they were able to go back and like their groceries were all just like sitting there on the floor, unpacked. Like also yeah. like these things happen in, in lives that you just drop everything and go when a tragedy strikes. And then sometimes you have to come back to that and yeah. deal with because for those who are left behind, life just goes on. Yeah. I mean, it is like those potatoes are still going to be sitting there. Mm-hmm. when he gets home and it is both realistic in like a poignant and heartbreaking way and also symbolic right mm-hmm. that you have to leave things behind but then you have to return to them yes exactly also cut out uh i want to talk about all the cut out parts before mm-hmm. we go back sister julienne talking to jenny about staying Mm-hmm. In the Redmond house, she says, you must remain strong if you are to stay overnight here. The situation can only be helped by someone with a clear head and an open heart. Mm-hmm. And this is yet again Sister Julienne being like firm but gentle with mm-hmm. Jenny being like, "I, you're a good nurse and I know you'll rise to the occasion and I have faith in you. But this is what's needed from you and you need to do it. Yeah, exactly. Right? Exactly. Uh, I have faith in you, but you can't be here if you're not going to be strong with a clear head and an open heart for them. Yeah. I can't believe they cut the part where with Shirley and her milk coming in because that is so significant because she's, uh, this is Mary, the girl who's taken their baby and her experience when her baby was taken was she was left to abscess and uh, get mastitis when her baby was taken from her. And this is surely Jenny is right there and we don't explicitly see what happens. But if you know about breastfeeding, uh, Jenny immediately takes her away. She's like, she feels her milk come in and Jenny takes her away to express her milk to help her be comfortable Mm -hmm. she leaves ron with uh shirley's mother and she takes her away to be comfortable so she won't get mastitis and so that she can feed her baby when she sees her baby again and this is the key difference between mary and shirley it's a key difference and it's a key parallel yes exactly and we're going to come by the end of the episode to like Shirley is the only one who understands what it felt like for Mary. Mm-hmm. And there's this moment of like, she physically understands what it feels like. Exactly. She has her milk come in and doesn't, and 
doesn't have a baby to drink it. Mm-hmm. And it's uh, this, yeah, this parallel and this contrast that for Mary, there was no possibility of ever having her baby back. And she was left to pain. Mm-hmm. And that for Shirley, it's so emotionally painful uh but i don't think i mean i guess at this point episode four we don't know what kind of show this is and i guess even by the end the baby is not for sure going to be safe but uh there's reason to hope that her baby is going to come back to her mm-hmm. all the community is gathering around her she's in such a different circumstance yeah exactly and so at the same time as they're experiencing this same thing they're experiencing such different things and then we have immediately mary trying to feed the baby with milk that the baby won't drink so mary is mm. still unable to feed the baby yes exactly. the baby that's not now her baby mm-hmm. but like mary couldn't feed had milk for a baby she couldn't feed and now has a baby she has no milk for yeah so like the milk is so important for this very, episode very important for this i episode. can't believe you would cut it out <laughs> And then also, the other thing about this part that we've cut out is Sister Julianne talking to, uh, when Sister Julianne talks to Jenny and says, you have to be strong, Sister Julianne takes their washing away. Mm-hmm. And the Jenny staying with them and Sister Julianne taking the washing is not the first time in this show, but uh, maybe the most kind of uh, clear, the first really clear moment of the show that nursing for the Nanatis house is not only about caring for the body. Yes. And that, I mean, we see that in the last episode with Mary that uh, Sister Julianne tells Mary, when you go, we'll, we take care of women in the community and you'll be part of the community. Mm-hmm. And what they, like their connection to Mary in that episode was not just about Mary's body. Mm-hmm. But here we see it even more like, I'm going to do her laundry, (laughs) and you're going to just stay and comfort her. Mm -hmm. And none of that is medical care. Yes. And that's really making clear what their role in the community is not just medical care. Mm -hmm. And that's going to continue through the whole show. Yeah, because... When you care for those things, you are. It is medical care. Yeah, exactly. Because her mental, because the, a mother of a lost child does not need to wash her child's clothes. Yeah. And deal with and have her not not be putting new clothes on a baby. She needs that laundry to be taken away and done by someone else, so that her mental health can thrive and her physical health can thrive because her mental health is thriving. I just really the picture that we have here of home nurses and midwives who are in the community and know the people and are helping are there to help and support them when they need help and support uh is really moving it is let's talk about something that isn't cut out of the netflix and that's people suspecting shirley mm-hmm. you were overheard saying you wanted to throttle your throttle your child yeah when she's just like it's like a little joke in the clinic to someone of like oh you know two in the morning i want to throttle her that's you were overheard in the clinic expressing a desire to harm your child yeah it's just how horrific that is to do to a person and it's also like it's partly just this you know it it it's must be your fault 
Mm-hmm. Uh, it's partly just piling salt in her, putting salt in her wounds and adding insult to injury and whatever cliche you want to use. But it's also just like, it's always the mother's fault. Mm. Right? Yeah. Uh, she was a bad mother somehow. Yeah. And it's her fault. And we don't say, we don't, we like step just shy of saying outright but why did she... What's the uh, imagined motive? Because she wasn't right since her stillbirth. Mm-hmm. So that also was her fault. Was her fault. Yeah. She did, couldn't have a... She didn't give birth the right way. And that proves she's a bad mother. And that she was sad about that has tainted her. And now she's a bad mother forever. Yeah. Right? Like, that's the... It's mm-hmm. not quite spelled out, but those are the dots that were connecting mm-hmm. that she wasn't right in the head uh and still isn't yeah and therefore that's probably what happened to her baby yeah like it's, it's just, just so cruel yeah it really is it might seem strange too that she left her baby in the pram outside but this was also fairly common practice and uh part of the reason i think they question her is a kidnapping like this didn't happen. Yeah. This was this is a very unusual occurrence. So they want to investigate whether it actually did happen. Yeah. Because a baby left in a pram outside. We've already seen that happen over and over again yeah. in the show. This is something that ha- people did. And by the way, a kidnapping like that still doesn't happen. I mean, like, it it's not doesn't happen 0% of the time. Yeah. But it continues to be extremely rare. Yes. That's Just let's true. say that out loud. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. The when uh, Chummy comes in and sees Sister Monica, uh, Sister Monica Joan, like washing the cutlery. Right. Yeah. And Sister Monica Joan is talking nonsense. Yep. She says, uh, "The world continues to fall to grow apace, but the milk cannot be given returned to the bullock." I'm like, "What are you talking about?" Mm-hmm. And then later she says, a barren cow gives birth to a bullock. And Sister uh, Sister Julianne says, she's been reading mystic poets. Mm-hmm. So, so did you find out what mystic poets these are? As far as I can tell, Sister Monica Joan is probably alluding to Lal Dead, a Kashmiri mystic poet whose poetry and sayings were published in English by Sir George Grierson in 1920. Mm-hmm. And the idea of milk to a bullock is... Laldad uh, writes about a fool who feeds molasses to a bullock because you feed molasses to a cow to produce more milk. But if you believe that a bullock can give milk, or if you believe mm. that you can get milk from a bullock, you feed molasses to a bullock and it's a waste of the molasses and you don't get the milk. And the phrase milk to a bullock, milk from a bullock means like an desired but impossible result. Hmm. Right. So you feed molasses to a bullock to get milk from it to increase its milk supply. You want something good, but it's not going to happen. And she thinks that there's no way this baby is alive. So the the subtext of milk returning to the bullock is like, this baby returning alive is impossible. Mm-hmm. And then later when she says a barren cow gives birth to a bullock, that's an allusion to another mystic, a Bulgarian mystic, Peter Dunov. I mean, possibly it's an allusion to lots of stuff. Mm-hmm. But Peter Dunov wrote about... Uh, specifically wrote about women as the source of life as a myst- from a mystic 
perspective, uh, and he writes about salt that makes barren cows give birth to calves, and then, like, spins that out metaphorically and mystically. But if uh, barren ca- a barren cow gives birth to a calf, that's like we're, we're taking something that was hopeless and making it hopeful. And when Sister Monica Jones says a barren calf gives birth to a bullock... Well, a bullock is a castrated bull. Mm-hmm. So the barren calf gives birth, but it's still a dead end. Hmm. So basically both of what Sister Monica Joan is saying is uh, dark and grim. Mm-hmm. And like, she's not expressing hope. Yeah, She's saying like, yeah, maybe you can get a barren calf to give birth, but it's going to give birth to a bullock. Yeah, And you can't get milk from a bullock. And the hoped for end is not is impossible. Mm-hmm. I think we'll see in the future, Sister Monica Jones, since she has been a midwife for so long, she has dealt with uh, much more tragedy. And we're in the era of the 50s with much with modern medicine. Yeah. You know, not to today's standard, but better medicine than they'd ever seen before. And she was a midwife before penicillin was a thing. She was a midwife before... Uh, all sorts of technology that they have then. And so she has seen her share of tragedies and dead children in a way that none of the other Yeah, not even Sister Julianne. ...have seen. So she has a different perspective. And I like that. I mean, not like it, but I mean, I like that when you look into the mystic poets and decode what she's saying, she is... Uh, pessimistic. Yeah. Because why would why wouldn't she be? She yeah. has seen so much. And she's often going to be and has been like uh, uh, unreasonably optimistic. Mm-hmm. So I like too giving some texture and nuance to her character. In the hospital, Cynthia sits with Margaret so David can shave. They talk about cutting the ring off of her finger and about giving Margaret permission to die. Someone finds Jillian's bonnet and is brought to Shirley, but she's unable to speak. We finally see that it is Mary, the young Irish girl, who has kidnapped Jillian, and we see her trying to solicit men while failing to feed the baby. Margaret dies, and Cynthia places her ring in David's hand with a cut in the ring. In Ninotis, the nurses work and Cynthia is upset about Margaret, snapping at Trixie when she teases her about soulmates. Ron arrives to Sister Evangelina and tells her how bad Shirley has gotten. Sister Evangelina talks to Shirley about being strong, about loving her husband and her mom. Mary steals a milk bottle and is chased away, leading to a call to the police. They call in Jenny, who recognizes Mary. She talks her down, getting her to realize that the baby is not her Kathleen and that she needs help. Mary hands over the baby and she's arrested. Once Jillian is reunited with Shirley, Jenny visits Mary in jail, who also isn't speaking. Hmm. Sister Julianne and, and Evangelina go to Ron and Shirley to ask them for leniency for Mary, but Ron is extremely angry. Shirley eventually understands Mary's pain and follows the sisters out to agree to their plan. Lastly, Cynthia receives a gift from David, 
a record of the swans. She and Jenny lie on the floor and listen to it together. <sighs> Cynthia talks to David about allowing, giving someone permission to die, which is heart-wrenching and true, where he just wants her to be strong. He thinks, you know, some miracle can happen. She's going to pull through this. Some miracle can happen. And this is so a common thing when people are dying is to I remember for a miracle. I remember when uh, my brother was dying and we were all uh, in hospice gathered around him. Mm-hmm. And my sister kept telling him that it was okay. We were with him. Everyone was okay and he could go. Mm-hmm. And uh, I mean, obviously she thought that he needed permission. Yeah. And maybe he did. Uh and maybe that's why he died when she was with him. And like, this is, this feels true mm-hmm. and familiar. Yeah. And that one of the, the, this is another time in this show where we're connecting death and birth. Mm. And the idea that what that that Cynthia is there as a nurse to take care of David and to take care of Margaret, but not to make them make Margaret better. Yeah. Right? And that someone still needs to be there to help. Mm-hmm. Um why why do they need to take her wedding ring off? Uh, her hands are swollen. Eclampsia would swell okay. all of her extremities. And so uh, her wedding ring would be cutting into her finger. So it would be painful. So it would be painful. And it's all about if we're going to make her comfortable, let's right. take off this thing that's going to make her uncomfortable in her last moments. And okay. I think obviously when the very symbolic nature of Cynthia Hant putting this ring into David's hand... And it has a cut out of it. And so, you know, in, in a wedding, the ring without beginning and end symbolizes eternity. And here it is. They were married and it's cut. It's no and longer. It now eternal. has a beginning and an end. It now has a beginning and an end. And then we see Mr. Jones, David Jones, going home alone. Mm-hmm. As I mentioned before. Yeah. To a house that's, yeah, prepared for his wife and child who no longer are there. Yeah. Um, what do maybe we follow Margaret's story again before going back Mm -hmm. and Cynthia is so sad uh, and talks about David being Margaret's soulmate and again Trixie is so unsympathetic yeah like soulmates you don't believe that silly Tosh I'm like come on yeah she's just (laughs) this is not the moment for that Trixie yeah she's kind of in her own head or something of just like, I don't believe in soulmates. No one believes in soulmates. I'm like, do you recognize where Cynthia is right now in her head? Obviously not. Yeah. And I like that Cynthia stands up for herself. Yeah. And, and then <laughs> Trixie looks back up her medicine bag mad. Yeah. But like, 
And we don't see them reconcile in this episode. And we know that, I mean, I assume that in the future they will. But I think it's good that there's just like this moment of Cynthia stands up for herself. Trixie is admonished and we move on. Because Not everyone that's what we feels as you do is how she stands up. Yeah. And Chummy, who comes in late to that conversation, hears that they're talking about soulmates, and is like, oh, soulmates, that sounds so nice. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Chummy. Maybe I have one. <laughs> yeah, you have a soulmate. Oh. Fish and chips. Um, going back to Shirley. Mm-hmm. Uh, Shirley and Mary and everything. Um, Netflix also skips Shirley going catatonic and Sister Evangelina talking her out of it. Oh. Which is, again, I didn't even catch until you said it. I didn't even connect that at the end Mary is catatonic or yeah. not, speaking not speaking in jail. I mean, I don't know. Catatonic is yeah. uh specific thing. specific thing. But like staring into space and not speaking. That this parallel between them that the show makes really clear and Netflix cuts away. What do you think of Sister Evangelina talking Mary out of it? Uh, talking uh, Shirley out of it? I think uh, Sister Evangelina does things in a way that I never, ever would. <laughs> it's so interesting to watch because I don't think she's wrong, but she it feels like she's unsympathetic by being like, your husband needs you, snap out of it. Yeah. But... The way she says it and the way she talks about love and that she's like, love is what brought Jillian to you. Love is what will bring you out of all of this, no matter what the outcome. She doesn't give Shirley false hope. No. At all. No. She, uh, she doesn't try to tell her everything is going to be okay. She just says that you're needed here. And this is already a theme of this show, specifically that women yeah. are are needed. Like, I love what you say. She is sympathetic in her tone. Mm-hmm. And she is, like, doesn't give her false hope. And she grounds it all in love. There's a bit of, like, she, she kind of, like, guilts her into it. Mm-hmm. But, like, Ron needs you. It's kind of the same i guess as what sister julianne keeps saying to jenny that like yeah. you are needed mm-hmm. so do what's needed yeah like, and that's... it's this, like stiff upper lip britishness yeah. too that's hard it's hard and it is a theme of the show or a motif mm-hmm. of the show that like women are needed yeah like women need to step up yeah exactly. uh and it's not fair mm-hmm. uh and it's not easy but it's necessary, mm-hmm. and so they just have to. Yeah, exactly. It's kind of, I mean, it's, it's a theme of this show in other ways, but it's also, like, a theme particularly in childbirth. Yes. We see, we've already seen, uh, and in this show, as in real life, we've seen, like, I can't do it. You have to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Whether you feel like you can or not, you just have to. Yeah. And that's specifically childbirth, but then it extends to, like, Shirley, you feel like you can't do it. You feel like you can't take anymore. There are people who need you and you have to. Yeah, exactly. I'm like, man. 
it works, I guess. Yeah. And it's true, I guess, but I'm with you. And like... she inserts some humor to help her too. She's like, you know, my backside's going to, I'll whisper all night, but my backside's getting sore. And that kind of also gives her just that little tiny smile. Yeah. To get her out of it again. And it's also like, it's uh, interesting that the backside being sore is humor that gets her out of it but it actually at the core is the same thing as ron needs you is it what gets her out of it is getting her to think about other people's needs mm-hmm. it's like my backside is sore i'll be here because you need me yeah but you're gonna come out of your current state by thinking about what someone else needs yeah exactly even if it's my sore backside or your loved ones who need you mm-hmm. ron's not strong we also saw David say he's not strong. Mm-hmm. Like the men aren't strong. The men aren't strong. Yeah. The scene with Mary giving the baby back. Oh. Should we jump ahead to that scene? Um, Unless you had more. To we say can. I have one more thing to say about uh, with Shirley talking to Jenny after she's been mm. snapped out of her not speaking. She talks to Jenny and she says, now I know, I know, I didn't know until I had a baby how much my mom loved me, Mm -hmm. which also is something that's familiar. Yes, absolutely. I can definitely relate to that. I don't, I did, you know, you knew intellectually, but how you love your your children, how your parents feel about you, uh, is not the same. I mean, even before you have kids, you know. How your parents feel about you is not the same as how you feel about them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the kind of love that only goes one way. Mm-hmm. And that means both, like, it only goes one way as in, I love her and she doesn't love me. But it also means yeah. it only goes forward. You can't go backward. You mm-hmm. can't undo it. You can't take it back. Yeah. It only goes one way. She says, now I know what they mean. Or I know what they mean now when they say love hurts. Hmm. Can't have one without the other. Yeah. I think that's the key thematic statement of the episode. Like, this is an episode that says love hurts and you can't have one without the other. Yeah. And that's what Cynthia talks about, too, is I want to put myself out there and love someone, but I don't want to get hurt by it. And how do I do that? And And she says, you can't. You can't. You just have to. And that's what David has done. He's put himself out there. And he's been hurt. And he's been very hurt. And like, it's exactly the same. The two stories are about how love hurts mm-hmm. and you can't have one without the other. And she says, uh, Shirley says, why do we keep doing it? And there's no answer at this point. Mm-hmm. Mary handing over the baby is, uh, I mean, it's just awful. But... What gets her out of it is recognizing that it's not her baby. Yeah. Like, it's not that this baby needs water. It's not that this baby is anything else. It's like... This is not your baby. This is not your baby. baby My Kathleen was prettier. My Kathleen was prettier. Like, that's good. You allow her to say those things. Because she needs to say those to get this baby back. The... Jenny has so much sympathy for Mary... And does everything she can to, like, have sympathy while she's getting the baby back. But the second the baby is in Jenny's hand, Jenny gets the hell out of there. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, she did this and she feels sympathy for Mary. But what she really needs to do is focus only on the baby. Yep. So she can't. It's, uh, the priority has to be this infant's health. And Mary has no one with her when she's arrested. 
Can I say for a moment about the baby's health that, like, they can't make a baby look sick? <laughs> so they try with lighting and, like, showing a very little of its face. But this is a happy, healthy baby. <laughs> with chubby cheeks and little gurgles of happiness. Yeah, exactly. Because, uh, obviously. Yeah, obviously. <laughs> but, like, when she says, not just this isn't your baby, but the way she's like, your baby is not with you, but safe Mm-hmm. And cared for and loved. Yeah. And it's, again, it's the same thing of, like, you have to... Mary has to get out of this by thinking about someone else. And she tries... Jenny tries to get Mary to sympathize with uh, the other mother, mm-hmm. with Shirley. And that seems like it's going to work. And then it, I feel like it doesn't work at all. Yeah. But when she gets Mary to think about Kathleen, yeah, that's what gets to Mary. The moment of like this other mother's in a terrible state and Mary says does she have a husband with a good job? Yes. Who loves her? Yes. Man, she's got it all doesn't she, lucky bitch? Yeah. Like that does not persuade Mary to give the baby back. She has everything that Mary doesn't have. Mm -hmm. But what does totally persuade her is your baby is safe. Yeah. Your baby is loved. This baby might die right now. Mm Mm-hmm. And then the, like, mo- I don't know, it's a tie for most heartbreaking moment of the episode for me. It's like, give me a minute, says Mary. Let me take enough to help me get through the rest of it. And she just, like, holds the baby before she gives it away. Let me take enough to help me get through. Heartbreak. Heartbreak. And then when uh, you pointed out, and I said I didn't notice it, quite how clear the connection is but when jenny goes to visit mary mary is also catatonic yeah mary never speaks doesn't speak she does not speak we never see her speak again we never hear see her speak again just like shirley wasn't speaking and mary doesn't have sister evangelina to get her out of it and she doesn't have someone that needs her yeah exactly and the like i said it's a tie because the give me another moment to get through it is is uh heartbreaking but the like (laughs) yeah the part that uh jenny says the part that jenny says that if she doesn't have anyone speaking for her like she'll go to prison forever and worse she will never have had anyone speak for her Not in the whole of her life. And like, we, we see, like Mary's barely, she says she's barely 16, mm-hmm. right? The, the, the taking someone else's baby is horrible. <laughs> but like the way that we shift. Yeah, uh, to how horrible Mary's life has been. Yeah. And I like. She deserves sympathy. When they try to talk the Redmonds into giving her, into asking leniency for her, Sister Evangelina says, uh, you know, you're the only one, Shirley, who knows what she felt like. I would think that would be enough to earn compassion, to earn Mm -hmm. anyone's compassion. And I like so much about that, that uh, compassion is earned not by a person's goodness, but by their suffering. Mm. Like, what, what... 
she says, I think, totally correctly, uh, both correctly emotionally, but also theologically, <laughs> she's a nun, uh, is like, she doesn't say she deserves your compassion because she wasn't so bad or she's mm-hmm. done good things ever. Yeah. She deserves your compassion because she suffers. Mm-hmm. In a way that you have suffered. In a way that you've suffered. And that, like, it's not someone's goodness or uh, virtue or value mm-hmm. <laughs> that uh, earns compassion. It's their suffering that earns compassion. <sighs> so David uh, sends this record to Cynthia. And I, the postcard that she gets, if you pause the screen like I did, it says, Nurse Miller, please accept a small token of my gratitude for your diligence, your heart, and your wisdom. And then a quote, there are as many forms of love as there are moments in time. Jane Austen, Mansfield Park. With kind regards, David. And then he gives her a record of, what's the music, Paul? The Swan by Saint-Saëns, which... Uh, watching this episode, uh, I'm currently playing The Swan by Saint-Saëns, like, not this very second while we're recording, (laughs) but, like, that's one of my pieces that I am practicing on the violin, so I was like, hey! I know that song. Yeah, and I, uh, we watched the episode separately, and I, so I, Jan was watching it first, and I heard the music come up, and I was like, do you recognize that song, Jan? She's like, seemed kind of familiar. Like. I'm playing it. You don't come down and say, beautiful, I deserve to be in Albert Hall. Anyway. Hey! <laughs> That's not actually what I said. No, you didn't. This um, quote from Jane Austen. Yeah. Do you want to talk about it? Um, I haven't read Mansfield Park. <gasps> Gasp! I'm a huge Jane Austen fan, but Mansfield Park is super long and boring. Um... <laughs> But there are as many forms of love as there are moments in time. And Cynthia talking about love before this and soulmates and whatnot. And that this isn't about necessarily the romantic love between Margaret and David. It's about all kinds of love and a love of parent to child and a love of husbands and wives and a love of everything. And so this is, again, a lesson for Cynthia about love. And for us, I mean, it's a, it's a beautiful quotation. It's a beautiful quotation. It's a beautiful thought. I think it's completely true. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's part of, like, the mission statement of the show, I think. We, when we, in our first episode, said every childbirth is different, mm-hmm. uh, we've seen a hundred people die in war. Like, we can have nine seasons of... Uh, couple of childbirths every time and have no repetition yeah. and not every childbirth is love mm-hmm. as we will see in this show and as we already have but that one of the mission statements i think of the show and of certainly of our show i think is kind of this there are as many uh kinds of love as there are moments in time mm-hmm. and stories about love don't get boring because they don't have to be. They don't have to be repetitive. Mm-hmm. They're all different. Yeah. The shot of the two of them lying on the floor listening to the record is also just like a beautiful shot. I noticed throughout this episode, the directing was phenomenal. There are the lighting and the 
sh- and the camera shots are beautiful and tell a story along with the script in mm-hmm. a perfect way. And I mentioned before with Sister Bernadette and the longing she clearly feels and the frenetic filming of the dancing and just the way it can take you from mood to mood mm-hmm. with the camera work is is really phenomenal. And we end with mature Jenny saying that loss is made endurable by love, mm-hmm. which is the inverse of love hurts, can't have one without the other. Yeah. Like when Shirley says can't have one without the other, she means you can't have love without also having hurt. And at the end we have, you can't have hurt without love and love is what makes it endurable. Mm-hmm. Loss is made endurable by love and love is what remains when loss fades away. Another thing about this episode that I just want to highlight before we uh, end up here is this episode focuses or we see more side characters than we have before. Where mm-hmm. Sister Bernadette in the first three episodes, we barely saw We saw her a little bit, but not much. In this episode, we really see her. Uh, there's also Peggy, who is mm-hmm. cleaning the floor uh, as a contrast to the nurses. She's also talked to, uh, Chummy talks to her briefly as well. She's uh, going to be an epi- a character in the next episode, but they're already seating her as mm-hmm. there's a caretaker in this place. There's someone who cleans the floors, also a woman. Mm-hmm. There's just people around to populate this world and to be different aspects of what being a woman is like. Yeah. And Peggy is another one of them. Yeah. So, Jan, yep. what was your favorite part? I think in amongst our think our saddest episode so far, I'm going to pick the moment of levity, which is Chummy, uh, which is Trixie telling, doing the little seductress thing and Chummy hilariously impersonating him being like, fish and chips and can you put the vinegar on first? <laughs> and uh, having watched uh, Miranda Hart's sitcom, there's a little, uh, that's pretty Miranda Hart that moment. <laughs> Put the vigor on first. <laughs> you stole mine. <laughs> what was your favorite part? Well, I like that. I was also going to pick a moment of levity, but since you picked a moment of levity, I'm going to pick a moment of pathos. And it's the moment that's the most moving for me of the whole episode is the moment that obviously I couldn't get through without crying when I talked about it before. And I'll say it again. They're like, no one will have spoken for her in the whole of her life, and someone needs to. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, like, that's so uh, heartbreakingly moving. So I'm going to call that my favorite for certain values of favorite. <laughs> All right. I like the funny, but you stole the funny, so I'll take the sad. All right. Well, thank you for listening. If you have more to say about this episode, about Call the Midwife, and you want to get in touch with us, you can do that by email, poplar at clockworksacademy.com. You can, uh, we're very active on Twitter, at Poplar Opinion. And you can support us. If you like what we do, if you want to hear more, uh, we're hoping to add even more to this podcast. Uh, Our Patreon is patreon.com slash clockworkscast. So thanks for listening. I've been Jan Moffat. I've been Paul Moffat. And that's just my popular opinion. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs>